Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome to the Equipping Your Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And with me today is my friend and brother in Christ, Jay Warner Wallace. Jay, welcome. Thanks for having me. We have been, uh, as you said, connected online for so long. We got a chance a couple times this year to get together this way. It's been awesome. Uh, by the way, I yeah. wanted to say you look spectacular today. Uh, yes, yes. You know, I'm actually. Uh, this is. Uh, he surprised me, guys. When we're when we were before we were recording, he shows up on the on the zoom where we're recording and he's dressed uh immaculately and i'm like i'm in a polo shirt and you know looking mm, probably how i usually do probably like a bum or something but, but you know when you're old and ugly you have to dress better so that's why oh. i learned that a couple of years ago so that's why now i always try my best to wear a jacket or something to make me look a little bit better than i usually do yeah well we're already off to a good start here so that's great exactly. <laughs> well brother uh this is your first time and uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, your your life, your marriage, your ministry, and any ministry projects that you're working on. Well, so I, I kind of dumbed into uh, all of this because I wasn't raised in the church and really had no interest in church or in God. Uh, my wife was more interested. I was uh, employed and I had a weird background. I was in the arts first and then came through the arts to uh, law enforcement because my dad was a cop. And so I became a policeman and then... Worked gangs a couple of years, worked SWAT, worked um, undercover for four years, and then I got assigned to robbery homicide, and I ended up working the rest of my career there, and most of it ended up being cold cases. And along the way, um, I decided to go to church with my wife because she was thinking maybe we should raise our kids with something. Even though uh, I had not been raised that way and didn't think there was any need for it. But I thought, look, if I can make my wife happy, and we met when we were in high school, I thought, sure, I'll go. My dad would do that, by the way. My dad's not a believer, but he thinks that Christianity is a useful delusion. And I thought that would be fine. I mean, great. If it helps your kids to order their lives and behave themselves, I was game. But the church we happened to go into was a church that was not very traditional. It was a big box, big warehouse church. And the pastor there was a regular looking guy. And he said that uh, Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. And I didn't think that was probably true, but he probably could be an ancient sage of some wisdom, like Baha'u'llah, Buddha. You can learn a lot from people who allegedly were ancient sages. So I thought, well, I want to see what's so smart about Jesus. So I bought a Bible and it was a pew Bible. It's sitting back here on my shelf and um, opened it up and tried to find whatever it is that Jesus said was so so darn smart and, and ended up being enthralled by the Gospels uh, as eyewitness accounts. In other words... Number one, were they really eyewitness accounts? Were they derived from eyewitness accounts? Look, the, they clearly are making claims about Jesus and about something that this guy did in the first century in a specific time in history, in a specific place on the planet. They're very much like the supplemental reports that I get when I no longer have access to anybody. I don't have access to the witnesses. They've been dead for a decade. I have no longer have access to the report writers because they've been dead for a decade. So what do you do? How do you determine if something is true from all these supplemental reports on cold cases? 
if you don't have access to anybody. Well, it's kind of the same problem you have with the gospel authors. You have no access to the witnesses or the report writers. So how do you judge? So it turns out there's a template for this that we use in criminal trials. And I just decided to lay into that template. And I spent, you know, a year, well, probably nine months to a year, um, just examining the accounts. And I was obsessive. I mean, it, it became like a a crazy obsession. I we had a time when we had uh, two kids, and eventually had four, but we had an extra bedroom. And I used to get up every morning at the crack of dawn wow. before I go to work, and I would be in that room, just pouring through. And I ended up buying all the church fathers. I mean, I, I start I bought all the stuff I could find from first century history related to the church, and just started to pour into it. And, um, you know, after about nine months of this, I really got to the point where I, I was willing to give, I believed that the gospels were telling me the truth about Jesus, which is crazy if you think about it. Yeah. Um, and once I trusted what they were saying about Jesus, I began to reread the New Testament to see what it was saying about me. Mm-hmm. Most of us who are skeptical don't want to go start. I didn't want to start there. I mean, look, everyone's got some view. And why should I trust the Gospels are telling me anything correct? I just needed to, to knock down that barrier that I had. Uh, and I knew a lot of Christians, uh, well, not a lot. I mean, a handful at work, many more that I arrested that told me they were Christians. And so I just had no respect for Christians. Mm-hmm. The people at work I knew who were Christians were good guys, but they couldn't tell you why it was true. So I thought, well, okay, look, the reason why I think I was so skeptical is that my family is all atheists, except for my dad's second marriage. He -hmm. married somebody who became a Mormon. And I have six brothers and sisters, half brothers and sisters who are all raised LDS. Hmm. Well, look, so it's possible to believe something that's demonstrably false and still have a nice ordered life because of it. This doesn't make it true. Hmm. So I could have nice police officer friends who said they were Christians. Okay, good for you. doesn't mean that that's true. That was always my view up front. None of that stuff's true. Mormonism is not true. Christianity is not true. It's all not true. Hmm. And But it still produces good results, which I think is why I was probably willing to go to church to begin with. Because why wouldn't I want those good results for my own kids? My hmm. dad wanted them for his kids, and he does not believe Mormonism is true. But he let, he let his wife raise six kids that way. So that was kind of my view going in. But at some point, uh, I recognized that this was a reliable account, and I started to realize it was also reliable in terms of what it was saying about me and my need for a Savior. But luckily for me, I'd already done the work, the heavy lifting, and there was one. So I said to connect those two dots, and that's really the story of my 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 conversion and my becoming a Christian. And, and Susie, would t- I, I didn't think anything was spectacular about it at all. I just thought you just go that you get to a reasonable inference from evidence. But Susie, my wife, would tell you she thought it was the most miraculous thing she'd ever seen. But I, to me, it didn't feel that way. It just felt like this is you just do your due diligence. And I just became obsessed with whether or not these were. Also, what's really interesting about the accounts is that there are lots of if you're just reading them as an investigator, you will find yourself going, whoa, 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 whoa. I've seen that before. I've seen that before in my casework where these two disagreements end up resolving themselves in this way. I've seen that kind of stuff. Mm. And once you start to see that, it, like that's what lit it up for me. Initially, what lit it up for me was the fact that the accounts have variations. They don't agree or they don't seem to agree because that's very common in eyewitness accounts, even though everyone, no one's lying, but they have different perspectives. They have different interests. They have different things they focus on. They won't tell you about some things. They will tell you about others. Unless you're there to say, stop, back up now. You mentioned this, this, and this. What about this other thing? 
well, I don't have access to, to my reports to be able to do that. So I have to just piece them together the way I piece together the Gospels. It really was, um, to me, it was a kind of exciting adventure. Yeah, that that is interesting. As you're as you're talking, I'm thinking you're you know you're getting up early, you're going in the other room, and your wife is you know inviting you to go to church. What what is she thinking about all of this? Like as you're digging into all this stuff, like what is she? She's like, did I lose my husband? Uh, you well, know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure she felt that way probably in the last 25 years, many times. Okay, because <laughs> because my I mean they're all in or I'm all out. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I was uh, working a case uh, as undercover and I was, we, we were working a surveillance and I was in my undercover car and we had five of us in a neighborhood waiting for the bad guy to go mobile. We had one guy on the eye who's watching the front door. When he comes out, we'll all jump into place. We're all sitting in cars in the neighborhood at all the different directions, waiting to see this guy move. And I was reading my scripture. And I was probably a Christian about a month, you know, and, uh, but my, my coworkers had seen the difference, my partners. And one of these guys was very good. He, he low crawled me up to my car and he got up behind me. I didn't even hear him coming. I could, if he was a bad guy, I would have been dead. And he just walked up on me from behind and looked over my shoulder and saw that I was reading a Bible. And, uh, oh boy, he laid into me. He said, I, oh, this, you know, I knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong and I knew that something was up. And I suspected this, but I just needed to confirm it. And I know you, Jim, you're such, you were, because I was such a committed atheist. I mean, everyone knew I was. I mean, it was the kind of thing we, because we arrested so many Christians and they were so easy to, to, to mock. And so everyone knew where I stood. And he says, I know you, you, if you're swinging that far in one direction now that you're, you're you'll probably end up being a pastor someday. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened, right? I went to the seminary and, and that's, you know, that took a long, lot longer time. But the point is, yeah, I mean, they're all in or I'm all out. And I think Susie was always more open to to this. I mean, she didn't see any downside. She didn't have the same skepticism. But but here's here's the here, here's the reason though. A lot of the skepticism is because police officers use this as both a coping mechanism and as an investigative tool. Look, if the game and in any interview is just collect data, if that's the game. Well, then you're just going to sit there and, okay, you said this next and you said that next. And I can just be a good listener. But if the game is spot the lie, well, then assume up front that everything's a lie. And then you'll spot the lie. Take the worst case half empty scenario, half empty glass scenario you can with this guy. And you'll probably spot the lie. That requires a certain level of skepticism and cynicism that, that, that it helps you to play that game. But, but my wife didn't have that. So, so she wasn't looking at it skeptically. She wasn't looking at it cynically. She was looking at it much more openly, but wanting to know if it was true and really wanting to understand the gospel because that was not something either one of us understood. Even when I got to the point where I could look at the gospels and say, yeah, I think this is telling us the truth about the resurrection. Well, why did, why would God have to do it that way? Why would it be necessary to do it? Because remember, if all you're doing is focusing on the gospels, you're not reading the letters yet. You're just going to spend nine months testing these accounts to see if they're eyewitness accounts. Think about how thin your theological underpinnings would be if you didn't allow yourself to read into Romans or read into First Corinthians to see what the spiritual man, like you just didn't go there. Well, now, you're, so I, I could get to a place where I'm like, yeah, I think this is all factually true, yet not really know what my need for a savior is yet even, or why it is this is the plan of salvation. So we had a little more work to do. 
But I think that Susie was much more open to any of that than I was. So she was waiting for me to, to decide if it was true. And that's basically uh, her review, I think. Mm, that's really good. Well, you have this, you have this new book out, uh, Person of Interest, Why Jesus Still Matters in a World That Rejects the Bible. Uh, why did you, you, I think you kind of told us a little bit about why you wrote it, but just tell us maybe a little more and how, how has this book been received? I know it came out last year. Yeah. You know, a lot of it for me was, um, I, I didn't think I was going to write books about this stuff. I just dumbed into that. I mean, I was with, I, I became, so my journey was that I became a believer and then my kids were young children's ministry. Of course, we're going to volunteer because your kids, you always need volunteers in children's ministry. So we got asked. And so we're volunteering them before you know it, I'm, I'm leading the fifth and sixth graders, but the fifth and sixth graders in our church is 520 students. So it was like, a, you know, I was doing 20 hours a week. And I was working still. I was investigating crime still. So I, I was doing that. Well, then my kids got older, I became their youth pastor. And then eventually, as they could meet at a high school, I became a lead pastor for a church here we had. And I used to take trips, immersive trips with high schoolers and college age students to both Salt Lake City. It's a great place to teach theology because you're going to be encountering a very sophisticated heresy that really kind of works off of all of the claims of Christianity. So it's really a great way to, to know what you believe and why you believe it. And then we also took an immersive trip to Berkeley, UC Berkeley. And, and I was working with Brett Kunkel from Maven Truth. I was working with Sean McDowell. And I was on a trip with Sean, training his students. And he said, you know, you should write a book about this. And it, that was my first book. Uh, he was the one who encouraged me. That was called Case Christianity. Uh, Person of Interest is the eighth. But a lot of what I'm trying to do in these books is just kind of backtrack and say, here's what that first year of investigating Jesus looked like. Number one, I needed to know uh, was I got, see, my, my, my hesitation with the Gospels was that they included supernatural elements, miraculous claims. And I didn't believe in anything miraculous. And so I needed to know, is, what, is there any good reason to believe in something supernatural? Why do I even think there's a God? I didn't think there was a God. So I had to go backtrack and say, well, I did believe in Big Bang cosmology, right? That everything in the universe, all space, time, and matter comes into existence from nothing. That was my view. So I needed to examine, well, okay, if that's the case. What is the cause of that? It's going to be something outside of space, time. I'm already stuck with something extra natural at the very least. And that I captured in a book called God's Crime Scene. But then I looked at the Gospels, and that's captured in cold case Christianity. And one of the other things I looked at was the impact of Jesus. I, my suspicion was, and I always felt this way, is that okay, if this is really who he said he was, you mean to tell me all we have to account for this is this, this set of four Gospels? Uh, it seems to me that if he's who he said he was, we'd have a much bigger like set of ripples in the pond if he's the stone that everyone says he is that gets thrown into the pond. Well, of course, you know, no one teaches you this in school, but it turns out that the impact of Jesus in the common era and, you know, the, what we call AD is so un, uh, unbelievable, unparalleled, unexpected, unexplainable that it seems to match of the three possibilities, man, myth or Messiah. It matches Messiah much better than man or myth. And I just wanted to, to take a look at that. And I, I think as I went through that first year, I might have had what I would call a bloggers um. Uh, um, kind of a blogger's uh, sense of what the, the claims were, what the evidence was. In other words, if you're just examining it for yourself, you're not footnoting everything and, and, and sourcing everything so you can write a book about it. I wasn't planning on writing a book. So I had to go back to my notes and go back to my investigation from 20 years ago and say, okay, now I've got to have a sourced view. And so I wrote a book. This is the eighth book. This is the book that talks about that part of the investigation, which is about this, the ripple effect of Jesus in history. 
what leads up to the first era, uh, first century, what follows the first century, and how you could tell that Jesus is who he said he was, even if you had no scripture. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting everything you can know about Jesus, you know about from the New Testament, period. That's the source of information we have about Jesus. But if you destroyed now, 2,000 years later, all New Testaments, effectively destroyed all of them, you'd still be stuck with Jesus because he had that kind of impact on history, that his story can be reconstructed from the most amazing places, even in the first four centuries of the Common Era, in literature, from non-Christians, in art, in music, in the history of education, in, in university campuses, in science and the science fathers who wrote about him as they were responsible largely for the scientific explosion. People don't realize that of all the people who have fathered scientific disciplines, Christians outnumber every other group combined times three. No one has done more work in the sciences than Christ followers, period. And even in world religions, his impact on not just the religions that followed Christianity, because they all will hat tip and mention Jesus in their scriptures, but even the ones that preceded, like Hinduism and Buddhism, their leaders now will bend their knee to Jesus and include him in some way. As a man on his way to Buddhahood, everyone's got a place for Jesus in their system. Even as Jesus says, no, there's only one way to the Father, it's through me. So I just wanted to capture that in a way that was sourced. So this book has about 400 illustrations in it. And um, although there's 50 pages in the endnotes, there's another 270 pages in a PDF document online that adds to those endnotes because it took us two years to resource it and really footnote it well. And I wanted to be able to do that. So if I tell you that there's X number of scientists, I want you to know who are they? What was their denomination? When did they live? What country did they serve? And what are they the father of? And what awards did they win? All of that is in the footnotes because I just wanted people to see how deep this history is. Because honestly, I was not taught that growing up. I'm in Los Angeles, okay, in a county. So, I mean, that's, it is what it is. I didn't know any Christians growing up and no one ever asked me to go to church growing up. I didn't encounter somebody who invited me to church until I became a police officer. I think I was maybe 30. Mm. Didn't go to church until I was 35. Mm. So it is possible to not know anything about Christianity and to drop in from outer space and actually decide this is true on the basis of evidence. And that's really my story anyway. And this book at least captures. And the reason why I'm writing it now, Dave, is because I feel like we're at a place where we are so divided as a country, so divided as a, as a world, really. And I think that the, the, tra the trajectory for us as believers is probably, it's not what any of us would like, but at the same time, it's what it is. And I think that for a lot of young people, and most of my work is with teenagers, um, I'm at a big conference six times this year uh, for, for teenagers, three more this year in 2023. So um, this is my audience is mostly our young people. And I don't, I think that the questions are different than they might've been in my generation. And my, for me as a 35 year old, 25 years ago, the question was, is this true? Is there any evidence for this? I think the question has changed. It's not about whether it's true. It's, do I want to wear the t-shirt? Do I want to be identified in this way? Or in an identity generation? And I think that identity is a big, in other words, 
It's not about the godness of God. It's about the goodness of God. Is Christianity worth, does it matter anymore? Is it, is it, does it represent anything good? Does it cause anything good? Or is it the source of all misogyny, racism, homophobia, transphobia, and every kind of phobia and ism that everyone thinks is so terrible? Are we really the cause of all that? Or is there something about Christianity? The stuff that mattered to me as an atheist was literature, art, music, science, and education. And no one has had a finer impact on those areas of culture than Jesus of Nazareth and his followers. And I just wanted to write a book that 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 really showed why Jesus still matters. Yeah. Well, I've been, uh, I'm, I'm going to be 42 in uh, February. And so I've been out of, I've been out of seminary now 10 years. And I've been out of, high school for 20 a little over 20 now and I, I can't even i can't even i don't even know how the young people that are coming out of high school that are coming out of college that are coming out of seminary they're facing challenges that i never even faced right. um even 20 years ago and i and so we as you're talking about this i'm thinking you know having done that kind of youth ministry college ministry as well like for parents that are facing the challenges that, you know, their kids are coming through middle school and high school, they're going to send them out to college. How do they, how do they prepare them? Well, you know, from a biblical worldview, and I'm sure you get this question quite a bit too. Mm -hmm. How do they, how do we, how do we prepare them for the challenges that they're facing? You know, like here in Portland, you have, they're getting drilled down on, on in public school with, you know, the LGBTQ agenda right. and, and on and on and on and critical race theory. And it goes, it just goes on and on. Right. So. Yeah, I, I think, well, this is one of the things we, 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 we definitely have a heart for this. As a matter of fact, Sean McDowell and I, we wrote a book called, so the next generation will know, which is just how do we teach Christian worldview to Gen Z? And I, but now this is very kind of timely, but Gen Z is a certain generation that eventually will be like millennials. They'll be old people, you know, they'll be older. So, but the right now, those are the folks who are in high school. And, and I will tell you that I think that there are some strategies we have to take. Number one, I will say that we have, I, I think that we do a better job in America of passing on our fandom ship than our Christian worldview. In other words, if you're in Portland and you're a, a, you're a Portland Trailblazer fan, you've probably done a better job of passing on your family fandomship of the Portland Trailblazers than you have your Christian faith. Because it's it's like when we have a few seconds to talk about something fun, we're going to probably talk about sports. Now here in California, Los Angeles County, I, we got two of everything. We got the Chargers and the, and the Rams. We got, you know, we got the 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 Lakers and the Clippers, the Angels and the, and the Dodgers, the Ducks and the Kings. I mean, it's, it's, it's a sports town. Yeah. And, and I can tell you that uh, most of my friends who are cops, you know, even who are Christians, can probably tell you more about the last draft of any of those teams than they can tell you about the history of this theological position, whatever it may be, within Christendom. Because that's the thing that that drives their conversations. They they find a way to bring it to life. Did you see that game last week? I mean, it's like there's excitement in those conversations. What I think is lacking for most of us is we're not as excited about these things. And that's because our passions aren't there. Look, you, passion is contagious and apathy is contagious. So if you're looking at your kids, I always say, if you look at your kids and you think that they're apathetic about something, well, guess what? You can just turn around and look at yourself because it turns out they're probably reflecting your apathy or your lack of an interest. Now, I, what I don't want to do is get legalistic about how I'm talking about, but what I think is, it's not about like saying, okay, we're at dinner tonight. I got to say three things about Jesus. No. Like if I'm at dinner, I'm talking about, I'm probably going to say three things about either 
maybe not Jesus particularly, but maybe something secondary, like like theology or church or something, missions, something that's on my mind that we're doing last week or we're doing next week. And because we're involved in that stuff and we're meeting people or I'm talking about people we've met in the church or met on missions or met at a speaking event or I'm talking about the next. In other words, this is what we talk about because we are passionate about it. And I think that's one of the ways that that we can pass on. It's not like we have to be so uh, rigid and and intentional about. We should be intentional, but what I mean is, it can feel like it's it's almost coerced or forced to our kids if we're not just overflowing. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks, right? So are our hearts aligned in such a way? Because when you go, you'll teach apologetics. If you teach one of these talks from this book, for example, at a church, people will say, "Man." That's just so much information. I'm not sure I can, like, I'm not sure how I could communicate. Well, yeah, I get it. I'm not asking you to add another hundred facts to your database. I'm asking you to exchange facts because you got a hundred things up there right now that don't matter. Like, I, I'll tell you, my, my podcasts are divided between theology, sermons, and sports. I mean, that's just the nature of it. They are divided between theology, sermons, and sports. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in my head that is really not necessary. It's what my wife calls sports gossip. Okay. It's like it's the stuff from talk shows, you know, it's some sports shows. Okay. Sometimes for me, that's, that's, it, it's like a, a useful um, pastime. Just to, yeah. It's, it's, for me, it's almost like just trying to unwind from the things that could make me depressed or anxious about what's going on in the world. I need some place to hide from that occasionally. And that because I get it, but we become such huge, we are doing something with information. I'm just asking people to reprioritize. I will give you one skill that I think is helpful to, to, to pass passion onto your kids. And that is that I always try to make sure I give two whys for every one what. Two whys for every one what? Because as a parent, as a grandparent now, you you will find yourself uh, a lot of what's. What's true about Jesus? What's true about the Bible? What's true about God? What, 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 what? Well, I think young people need the two whys for every what. They, they still need a why, which is like, why is that true? They still need some explanation as to why that's true. We're not so far into postmodernism that we have moved away from just wanting to know. Like the sciences seem to be able to give you that first why. Well, theology also can give you that. The world around, the Bible describes the world the way it really is. So we could offer a why. If I'm talking about the triune nature of God, why do I believe that God is triune in nature? I want to give you that first why. The second why, though, is probably the passion why. And that is, okay, you told me what you say is true, what scriptures teach you, and then you told me why, what's the evidence for that? Now tell me, why should I care? Like, okay, it's great for you, this old guy who's geeked out on theology, but why is, how does it apply to me? Like, what's going to, what is the, the crisis that I'm facing that this theological truth addresses? What is the everyday experience I'm going to face tomorrow that this theological, that second why, why does it matter, is why I wrote Person of Interest. That I want people to see that there's a, there's an answer for the second why. And I think if we give two whys for every one what to young people, and here's what I typically tell people, if you've got a what that's on your mind that you want to share with your kids, don't let that what come out until you know the two whys. You keep that what in your head until you know the two whys and you give all three things at the same time. 
Because mm. it turns out that you know the triune nature of God is because God is love. Not God can experience love. God is the creator of love. No, God is love because he's been in that loving relationship, that triune relationship from all eternity. Unlike Allah or anyone else, God is love because he is from all eternity in the, as Augustine says, right? The lover, the beloved, and the spirit of love between them. And that's why we crave this, even from our friends. That's why we are so relational. That's why you're depressed on Instagram if no one's liking your 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 post. You're you're you are created in the image of a God that is is in community by nature. And that's why you feel that desire. I need to be able to show young people why the theology does actually address their everyday. And that will help, I think, us pass on uh, our theological understanding to the next generation. But I think one last thing I'll say about that, and you said it, that we're seeing a lot of this. Look, I just don't know. If, if, if you're saying to yourself, I think if I want my kids to go to college or university, I would like them to go to a Christian university. Well, that's because you think that there are different versions of what they could learn in, in university and they're going to learn some facts and a bunch of worldview at the same time. And you think you want to protect them from the worldview issues and just get the facts. I understand that. You might even say, then there are some Christian universities I don't even want them to go to because I don't even think they're still holding to a Christian view. Well, back that up a couple of years. Is that also true for high school? You're thinking, I don't want my kids to go to public school because I think that that worldview stuff is not worth it. But are there also high schools that don't reflect Christian high schools that maybe don't reflect your views as well? I think if you back this up all the way, you're looking at homeschooling. And I do think um, my kids have been everywhere. My kids, I've got had kids that were homeschooled. I have four. Some portion was homeschooled. Some portion was Christian uh, schooled. Some portion was public schooled. So I've seen all three. I went to public schools, of course, but I do think we are moving toward having to take responsibility for our spiritual development of our kids. You can't trust that to your youth pastor. You should not kiss that off to your youth pastor. And for the education of our kids, we can't kiss, kiss that off anymore to somebody unless you really have vetted it and you know that this teacher actually holds my view in every nuanced way that's important to me. Well, then you're good. But if you don't, not quite sure, then you're homeschooling. Really good, really good. We've we've definitely we've definitely hit that on the on this show, and I I agree with you. I think that that is just because, like you're saying, you got a youth pastor that oh, like I had, we opened the Bible and preach expository sermons. That didn't mean like in my case, my parents advocated their responsibility. They did pass me off to the youth pastor, and the youth pastor, thankfully by God's grace, stepped up, and so did the youth elder. And so did some of the older people, you know, I'm thankful for that. Um, my parents just weren't equipped, you know, to, right. to handle that. And so they're, so, so we want to give, you know, we're not trying to, you know, maybe that's you and you're listening to this and you you feel like, Oh, we're just hammering at you and beating you up. It's like, wait, take a time out here and just realize, okay, you don't have to advocate your responsibility to your youth pastor. anymore. just, just repent and stop that. And do something about it. Don't advocate if you're a grandparent. Don't advocate your responsibility to be a grandparent, to to care and to come along. Don't advocate if you're an uncle or an aunt. Don't advocate your responsibility to the to the, just just get involved. Don't That's sit right. on the sideline and you know um, you know we my wife and I joke. It's like we have this running joke 
Um, it's like, where, 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 you know, do you want a tissue for that? You know, and, and it sounds really insensitive and, and it, and it kind of is, it's a little bit, you know, no, we do the same thing. You right? know, I say, hey, you know, rub, rub some dirt in it or I'll say, you know, you know, <laughs> so, but, yeah. but the idea, but the idea behind it is like, Hey, you know, just take some responsibility, step up to the plate, be present, do something about it. Don't just, you know, we can just talk and talk and talk and talk about it all these things until we're blue in the face. Yeah. We, we could, you and I could too, but that's why, you know, we're out there talking and we're trying to help people. That's right. And so, so, you know, you hear about these things that are discouraging that should lead you to think about doing, not just talking about, it, but doing something in your own family, in your own home, in, in the areas of influence. And we need everybody. We need not just people that are out there on national media and po podcasts and writing books and stuff like you and I are, we need everybody all hands on deck. That's for, right. For this. And, so, and, and don't get discouraged because look, I mean, in the end, uh, your stupidity is not going to overcome God's power. And it turns out if you knew me at 34, you'd say that dude is never going to be a Christian. And here I am. God will do what God will do. And God's still ultimately in control. So in the end, if you feel like I've done a bunch of stuff in the past 10 years, I wish I hadn't done or didn't do enough. Well, I'll tell you what you can do now. You can be talking to God about it because it turns out that he has the power to change all of that anyway, including every stupid thing you've ever done with your kids. So I always think, hey, you know, I get it. You can have some regret. I, I do too. Um, I, even as a guy who is doing this all the time, I still think I, I've got four kids. If you've got four kids, trust me, your kids have embraced this in a spectrum. Some are more committed, some are less. Even if they're all really committed or they're all not really committed, there's a, still a spectrum there. Get over it. That's just the nature of free agency. That's the nature of your kids. That's the nature of the world we're living in. You did the best you can and you're not done. You can still pray about it. You can still model this. And trust me, once your kids start having kids, you could get a whole new opportunity to invest and a whole new and the, a whole bunch of respect you didn't get before because it turns out once your kids see how hard it is to raise kids, they are far more understanding of your efforts to raise them. So just just don't get too, too discouraged. It turns out that um that you know God can overcome all of our stupid. Amen. You know, um, you're talking about your own skepticism, and there is so much skepticism out there today about Christ. You know, we look at the statistics, but we we even can look at, you know, the Ivy League schools and many mm -hmm. of the people that are influencing, you know, you know, let's say late teens to, you know, they're in college and then outside of college. Right. Um, what what do you what do you say to the to the to those kids that they're they're thinking through things they're highly intelligent they want to go to college they, they you know or or they're just investigating what what do you what do you say to them um about your own skepticism and then facing their own skepticism and searching for the truth well, a couple of things. Uh, understanding the role of, of evidence is helpful, but to be honest, what's really helpful is to have an environment in which you can express your skepticism. It turns out that almost every survey that's done on this shows that having skepticism or doubt, that's pretty natural. But when you don't think you have a place to go where you can even express them without, you know, being either judged in some way or put, you know, sh you know, shut down quickly. It, it turns out that we just need healthy places to explore the questions. And be allowed to ask the questions. If you're a leader of young people, be that place. It turns out that there's a ministry of presence that is often enough. You don't necessarily have to be equipped to answer every question. 
sure. I, there's a lot of times when I get as a young person who ask me a question and I just know, like I can answer that pretty quickly for you. But the reality of it is you just need to be able to express it right now. You don't need me to jump in and 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 solve this for you right now. I can, but sometimes you just need somebody who's empathetic enough to let you express your doubt. And so what I want to do, first of all, is, is if you're a young person who's got doubts, find a place. It might be your youth group. If it's not, find another place, a Christian place that you can actually just express those doubts and that somebody will walk through them with you. They may have an answer for you immediately, or they might say, you know, let me get back to you on that. I'm not quite sure. I've had that doubt too. That places where we can explore our doubts are safe place because God embraced like everyone. John the Baptist, when he's in custody, sent his disciples to Jesus. They said, Jesus, John's in custody. He wants to know, are you the one? Really? John, my cousin, the one who leapt in the womb when our parents were, you know, our mothers met, the one who who baptized me and saw the spirit of God descend on the one who sent his disciples to me saying to them that I was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That dude, you're telling me he's got doubt. He's, he's asking that question. Seriously. Is he asking that question? No, he, he entertains those doubts and he says, go back. He does disciple. He does a, a miracles in front of the disciples of John and says, go back and tell John what you just saw that commitment to, to trying to address doubt is well within the Christian tradition. You won't be the first person. You won't be the last. And God is not going to abandon you if you've got a question about him. Mm. So ask your questions. Find a safe place to do it. Find knowledgeable resources. By the way, there is no excuse now. I always say never pay for something you can get for free. It turns out online, there are tons of resources that are available to you right now. You just need a trusted authority. You just need to know, like, where could I go? Now, I, I've got a website, coldcasechristianity.com, but one of the biggest resources of question answering is got questions. Now, do, do I agree with everything in any ministry? I don't even agree with myself sometimes. So, no, uh, I'm not going to agree with everything everywhere, but there are lots of good places where you can go to get answers if you've got questions. And just don't, don't, but uh, to, 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 to not even try to answer those questions, just to sit in them as an excuse to do nothing. Well, that's a you issue. That's not a God issue. That's a you issue. Let's just be honest about it. If you want to know, the answers are out there. Just be honest, ask the questions, and find, put yourself in a place where you can ask those kinds of questions without feeling like you're being judged or feeling like they're going to shut you down. And by the way, don't give up on a place if that's what's happening for you at your youth ministry or at your church. Don't give up. There's lots of places. We run ministries where we are love to get questions. So, so don't give up because there's no reason to give up. What you want to be able to do is to voice your concerns. Yeah. Yeah. And when you, I'll just say a few things to to tag along with that. If you're a ministry leader and you're getting questions like I got, I got, I got the most basic question today. Um, do I have to believe in the third, the, the third day part of the resurrection in first Corinthians 15? The answer is According to Paul in Romans 10, 9 through 17, yes, you need to believe in that Jesus physically arose on the third day. But no question, no matter how basic it is, is unimportant. And we need to make sure we need to thank people, especially when they send the question, when they send their question, and we need to acknowledge them and we need to hear them. And we need to, you know, 
come alongside them be like no actually this is what this text says this is what this means right this is why it's important now some questions are going to be more complex and so it takes maybe a little more time to to answer them and so we might do an episode of my podcast or something to unpack those things and so yeah be be open be considerate Uh, make sure you even ask the person did i answer your question right like this was you know, just just basic kind of social social skills. It goes really a long way to to show people that you you're not only there, you're the trusted resource, but you're also you know there to to walk alongside them like you would face to face. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Well, brother, uh, this is a really good conversation. Uh, where can you tell us a little bit about you know your podcast? Tell us about where we can find you on social media and all of that. Yeah. I mean, we just, and like, I feel like content creation is just a, it's just for me, it's not about anything other than a spiritual discipline. It's like part of what I do in my life is I'm going to create content because I'm thinking about these things. So I'm going to write them down and I'm going to podcast about them. And that's really the only ambition we've had. We've been doing a podcast for about 17 years. Used to be called a please convince me podcast about 10 years ago. We changed it to the cold case Christianity podcast. Then we produce a podcast every week. We post it on Wednesdays. Uh, we have a YouTube channel and all of our work, Jimmy and I say ours because Jimmy, uh, my son, is also about an 11-year detective and he is also contributing to our website. And it's at coldcasechristianity.com. So you can find all of our resources there and all the links to all the apps and books and things like that. But again, like I always say, if you can get it for free, get it for free first. And we try to provide a lot of material there, three pieces of content a week that'll help grow you as a Christian. And I think there's probably lots of ministries like Stand to Reason, like your ministry, like lots, you can think of all these apologetics ministries, but more important, it's good, a lot of good theology ministries that are out there. I think you could stay busy. The question is, are you prioritizing this? So you, this is what, this is what it is you're interested in. Cause certainly the resources, you couldn't listen to all the podcasts that are available out there. You was not enough time in your life to listen to all those podcasts. That's how much free content is out there. So no more apathy. You've got to get off the stick. Like C.S. Lewis said, it's either not true and therefore it's not important at all or it is true and it's the most important thing you'll ever know the one thing it cannot be is moderately important so it's about time for us to make sure that we treat it as importantly as it really is so i want to encourage you all to do that that's wonderful brother well as i always say at the end of these there's so much that can be said and we've really only scratched the surface and this is guys this is a really good book that you definitely want to check out so just as we you know, wrap up this conversation. Can you give our listeners and those who watch it a few takeaways? Yeah, I think what I want you to know is that uh, it turns out that uh, we've been asked to have a forensic faith, a faith that is going to have questions because only in every jury trial, I provide a jury with a certain number of evidences and there's a step at the end of the evidence trail that you have to take to a verdict. I can't answer every question. Uh, I can give you everything you need to know, but not everything that can be known. And that's also true for us as Christians. We have a list of we have good reasons to believe something is true. But at the end of those that chain of evidence, you're going to have to take a step we call faith. But it's not blind. It's not uninformed. And I think when our young people know that, that this is a reasonable uh, worldview that describes the world better than any other worldview, they are going to take that step with us. So I want to encourage you to do that. Yeah, that's really good, brother. Well, Guys, we've been talking with my friend, uh, James Warner Wallace, about his book, Person of Interest, Why Jesus Still Matters in a World that Rejects the Bible. Please go get this book. You'll really enjoy it. Uh, Take your time reading it. Look at all the things that 
he is talking about and really take it home and digest it. It will help you um, immensely. So thank you, brother, for your work. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate you. You too. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.